Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. That's my gauge about how much energy is in the house, like the pause, and is anybody just going to do anything, or are you just going to stare at me awkwardly, which is what the 9 a.m. did a lot of the service. So um, glad you're with us. My name is Brian Lee, pastor here. If you're just joining us, um, brand new to our church, investigating faith, not sure if you have any faith, left it behind a long time ago. We are so glad you are in the house, uh, listening to the Unfiltered Radio all over the state, podcasting. Um, next weekend, we've mentioned it a lot, but just one more time. Maybe the best weekend of the year to invite, and I'm not overstating that, Back to School Bash is going to be a massive thing for our community. We do like three huge events every year of just, hey, we want you to know if you live around here that we are for you because you know a ton of what the church is against. We want you to know what the church is for, and we're for you. We'd love for you to come hang out. And so it's a great time to come hang out, but that's not the purpose of the event. You'll have a great time. But the purpose of the event is to invite somebody in our neighborhood, in our community. We're not going to do anything weird. It's just going to be a really, really great time on Saturday. And then the next day is just as good a time to invite because I'm starting a brand new series called Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. The title pretty much says it. How do you move through life, make better decisions, and lug less baggage? And that's the thing that all of us are concerned about. So don't miss next weekend. Don't miss 30 seconds of courage to invite somebody. You've heard me say this a thousand times, but you have no idea what hangs in the balance of that invite. And so cannot wait for next week. Um, This week, we're in part two of this series called Vision 2022, where I talk about why we exist as a church, where we're going. If you didn't listen to last week, this is one of those times I'm going to say, go listen to it because it'll kind of set up this message and I think make it make a little bit more sense. But we really just talked about what God's dream and vision for the local church is, and it's never going to be perfect. And I jokingly said last week, but it's really not a joke, is we have um, as bad a PR problem right now talking about the church as a whole, not Centerpoint Church, as any time in quite a while. Um, like we, we don't maybe look awesome, and maybe that's not your experience, but just ask some friends around you. There's a bunch of people who've walked away from Jesus, and it really wasn't Jesus they resisted, it was a local church. And so what does it look like for us to be an alternative to church as usual? Because a lot of people's usual just hasn't been good. Like it, don't like it, believe it, don't believe it. It's just the truth. How do we create that for all people and actually mean all people? So that's what we talked about. Creating a church that would be safe and the safest place in the world for anybody struggling with anything. And actually mean it. That when students show up with questions, we don't say, here's the right answer and go your way, but actually journey with them through it. That we don't create a project out of anybody. It literally is the safest place to struggle with addiction or with a marriage that's struggling or with doubts or disbelief or dysfunction. We said this, that the church should be the most welcoming and accessible place anywhere in the community. And I think everybody is tempted to slap that on a wall or a mission statement. Here's what it means for us. Welcoming and accessible means that you get to play a part, you don't just get a seat. And there's a difference. Playing a part means you're invited in with all of your stuff and there is a role for you to play because when you get connected to the local church when it's on mission, it has the power to transform your life. And we talked about the fact that the local church, and it's our goal to tear away every unnecessary barrier to people finding life and freedom in Jesus. Because honestly, if you follow Jesus and your experience hasn't been life and freedom, you might be doing it wrong. Maybe somebody didn't actually introduce you to Jesus. Instead, they introduced you to 11 things that you needed to do that you couldn't live up to, but you never actually found the life or the freedom that's found in what Jesus is offering. That's what it means, I think, to be an alternative to church as usual and a bunch of other stuff that I talked about for way too long last week. But that's what we're after. And by God's grace and through what you are doing all over, you are reaching some people that nobody else is reaching. Let's, let, let's be honest. And I knew this when we started this church. Ari didn't need another church, but it needed a different kind of church to reach some people that nobody else is reaching. And the stories that I hear often of, hey, I saw this whole thing about alternative church, I decided to check it out, and then literally, literally they'll say, it was literally my last chance before I just bailed out on God forever. 
And then they show up and God changes something in their heart. Like that's what God has called us to. And so go back, listen to that. This week, I want to double down on one of our other core values that I didn't get a chance to talk about last week that is so big and has been a, at the heart of what we're, at, at, what we're about as a church from the beginning. And it's the whole idea or the value of irrational generosity. And, and honestly, if you look at the message and the life of Jesus, I don't think there's a better term than that because Jesus stepped on the planet earth and the only thing that you could use to describe what he did and what he offered was irrational. It was, I'm going to give up everything, and then I'm going to offer forgiveness to you ahead of time before the performance, because he knew the performance wasn't going to be that great from any of us, and I'm going to offer myself, even if you reject me, but this is a message and a gospel for all people, and it's a message of grace, and the fact that God came and did everything for us, other than us making the decision to say yes, is irrationally, incredibly generous, it is at the heart of who Jesus was, and it's at the heart of what I think should be the characteristic of the local church, people who call themselves followers of Jesus. But there's something around generosity that a lot of times that we miss that I want to talk about for a few minutes. And it's not always that sexy, and so it's why we don't talk about it and why we miss it, but it is such a big deal. Now, here's the other thing I know. I was thinking of John 6 this week. I don't know if any of you um, read that when we were going through John in our last series. But John has, or Jesus has this message where he preaches. This happened multiple times. <laughs> At the end of Jesus' message, um, John quotes it, that all of these people in the crowd are like, this is a really hard saying. Who can accept this? And then the next thing they did was like, Jesus, we're peacing out and we're gonna unfollow you because that's just too difficult. That was my paraphrase, but that's basically what happened. And they just left Jesus. And so I just thought as I was reading that passage, this message might be my John 6 moment. Um, but there was other times where Jesus preached a message and they tried to stone him. So if I am able to get away and I don't get stoned to death today, then it's going to be a win. But, you know, Jesus had those moments because I get that like generosity, anything to do with money, finances is incredibly like tension filled. People have all kind of baggage around it. You've been manipulated. You've experienced stuff that I probably can't even imagine. So I get all of that. So here's the thing that I say every time I talk about this, which is not often, but it's so related to what we're talking about in regard to vision. Here's what I always say. Some of you come every single week and listen to me and walk away and don't do anything that I ever say. So just make this another one of those Sundays. Okay. So you don't have to do anything. You can just like, yeah, 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 I'm not going to do that. You do that all the time. So um, this is just another one of those messages. But seriously, here has been our heart from the beginning is that we would want something for people, not something from people. That we would be a church that regardless of what you do, and it's how we started from the very beginning with a bunch of people new to church, didn't give anything. I didn't take a salary. Like we were just invested in, we want to reach people in our city and community. And that has not changed. So whether you ever do anything or not, it does not affect our mission one bit. We are about introducing people to Jesus and life and freedom in Jesus. We want something for you. But generosity is such a big deal. One of the things that I'm most proud of our church that I mentioned last week that I unapologetically just keep talking about these two weeks is the fact that last year, and we've done this now for multiple years, we do this thing called Generosity Campaign during a counterculture series that we do. And we raise a bunch of money and then we give all of the money away to about 10 partner organizations around food scarcity and homelessness and crisis issues and on and on it goes because we wanted to be known for that in our community. I think it's what the local church honestly should have as a reputation in the community. And now over the last several years, we've given hundreds, no, over hundreds of thousands of dollars away. And last year, we gave away more money than any non-for-profit organization in the greater Brandon area, which is incredible. And it speaks to your generosity and your commitment to go, man, we want to be for the city. So here's the interesting thing in the West specifically is generally we're not opposed to this. In fact, unlike other areas of the world, or some other areas of the world, we value an ethic of generosity in meeting specific needs, even if we don't do it. Like it's, it's seen as a value that I would trace all the way back historically to what Jesus introduced in the first century in a Roman Greek culture that's hard for us to imagine, didn't really value the virtue of love and generosity the way that we do. But there is remnants of that in the West, Western culture, in America, where we value generosity. And I would call it like generosity or giving 1.0, which could be characterized like this. Giving directly to help immediately, which is amazing. And I bet every single one of us do that or have done that. And it, because it's just something we value. There's a need 
There's something that moves our heart. Somebody needs to step in. And so we immediately feel like I've got to give to that. And so we give immediately and we give directly and it makes an impact and it's awesome. But what Jesus talks about throughout the New Testament is this lifestyle that moves from what you do occasionally to who you actually are. Now, isn't it true? Generally, this is like a human nature thing. We tend to define ourselves on what we do occasionally. It's why it's very difficult to get traction or win an argument in marriage sometimes. Because it doesn't matter what you're arguing about. You can always point to one time that you did it. You're like, well, in 2014, I did empty the dishwasher. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, it was eight years ago, but you keep hanging on to it. Because we just tend to do that. We, we see ourselves through random or sporadic acts of goodness or kindness. It's just human nature. But the giving that Jesus talks about is actually a lifestyle of generosity that changes not just what you do occasionally. Everybody kind of does that, especially in the West but really changes who you are. And it is at the essence and at the heart of actually following Jesus. Like here's the thing that that people miss I think is so important. What makes our generosity campaign so successful is actually what I would call 2.0 givers. The only reason we're able to do that and give so much money away and even monthly, and we're about to uh, announce a new initiative next month, we're gonna have specific focuses each month where we just give money away toward projects along with our big campaign that we do every year. But the reason we're able to do that is because of 2.0 givers, and here's how I would refer to them as planned givers, percentage givers, priority givers. Like the rare people, and they really are rare, to say, I'm gonna have a plan for my generosity and my lifestyle. I'm gonna have a percentage because if you don't have a percentage, you just get surprised at the end of the year and you think you're generous, but actually it was like one point or 0.003% of your income or whatever. You thought you were doing good. Percentage is I'm gonna be intentional. I'm gonna plan ahead of time. And it's a priority, meaning there are so many things that compete for our attention. I'm gonna put it first and I'm gonna build my life around generosity. It's a lifestyle. It's a rhythm. So that nobody has to actually ask me. In fact, for some of you, this is what you do. And the reason you do it is because you are doing for another generation what you are fortunate enough to have a generation do for you. And you understand that planned giving is actually what makes spontaneous giving possible. This is the thing that we miss. But there is a movement of people who would go, I'm gonna be a priority, percentage, planned giver. When it's not sexy, nobody knows about it. It's easier to give to kind of random acts of kindness or needs, but I'm just going to make this a part of my life and part of my lifestyle. And it's what makes spontaneous generosity possible. Do you know how long it took us to work up to the place to give thousands and thousands of dollars away. Now over the last couple of years, hundreds of thousands of dollars away. People think it's over a four to six week campaign. It's not. In fact, we're a part of a network of churches um, with North Point. There's about 90 of us. It's not a denomination. It's just a network for mutual collaboration, innovation, leadership development. And we're all kind of trying to, you know, have a vision for the same kind of church around the United States and even now globally. It's about 90. And almost every one of our churches do this and all of the money goes into the local communities and we're self-funded and all of that. But we talk about this whole idea of being known for generosity in our community. And here's one of the things that we found is to get to the place like our church has where we've given hundreds of thousands of dollars away does not happen in six weeks. It takes about a decade It takes a decade of people sowing and reaping in that direction and having enough people stand up as 2.0 givers to go, I'm not gonna wait for like my emotions to catch up. I'm just gonna prioritize, percentage, plan. And because you have enough people who do that, it is the thing that makes spontaneous generosity and the willingness and ability to put stuff into the community possible. Those of you who are doing that, you know that having a plan for how you plan to support your local church financially is what makes spontaneous giving possible. And I just want to say to you real quick, because this is such a big deal, and I tried to articulate this as well as I could last week. What God has called us to is such a big deal. What you're doing in the community right now is so unique. Story after story after story of people finding a safe place after a decade of not being able to feel at home in the local church. What you are doing is unique. What we have been called into is a big, big deal. And you are the ones that make all of this possible. I just want you to know that. 
Like from the very beginning, I was just kind of taught to do this, not because I was spiritual, just because it was just kind of handed to me. And so I did it before I even knew how it benefited me or the fact that it was a spiritual practice of following Jesus. But then I saw the results of what God does to where over time I'm able to point to things to go. I had a hand in that. I got to invest in that. I'm a part of that story of life change because I've built my life around this rhythm of generosity. And all of you who do this, every building, every environment, every CC kids thing that we're doing for students, Every single week, every single year, our middle schoolers, our high schoolers, things you don't even know about like addiction recovery through Celebrate Recovery, all of the ministry, all of the buildings, all of the staff, all of the things that creates and facilitates the context for life change, none of it happens without you. There is a direct connection between your planned percentage priority giving and all of that life change. But, but here's where, honestly, and I'll, I'll try to, you know, make this quick and wrap it up because I can tell the tension in the room already. I get it. Anytime you talk about this, you brought a friend today. And you're like, crap, why did I wait for today to invite a friend? So come back next week. It'll be, you'll be amazing. Um, better decisions for your regrets. You won't be tense at all. But here's where I feel a little bit like um, a failure, and that's an overstatement. But about, this is what I put in my notes, only about 27% of you have a plan for how you plan to support your local church financially. About 20, and that's, generally that statistic is like give four times a year or more. So the bar is probably kind of low, but four times a year or more is what is like characterized consistent 2.0 planned percentage priority. You're only about 27%. And that represents more people than you understand. I mean, over the last two years of crazies, we still have a ton of people that have not showed up yet physically to our locations that still call Center Point home, still watch podcasts, listen via radio. So that's a big number of people. Only about 27% have a plan. And here's the reason that makes me feel a little bit like a failure, but not really, is because this isn't just us thing, this is just a cultural thing, is because that has nothing to do with the fact that like the church needs your money. That has nothing to do with like, oh, this needs to happen or you know, something's gonna go off the rails or this isn't because Jesus needs your money. Right? Jesus is fine. Jesus is gonna retire really well. Like Jesus does not need any of your stuff. At the heart of it, whether it makes us uncomfortable or not, Jesus taught it, so take it up with Jesus. It is at the heart of following Jesus. It is at the epicenter of following your savior who has given up everything on your behalf. It is at the heart of, of giving to what is at the, at the epicenter of what is most important to him, his movement, his church, as dysfunctional as it is, but when it is on mission, it is the thing that he has set up as his vehicle to distribute the good news of Jesus in our culture until he comes back. And to not give and invest in that in some ways, is, is really a failure to fully follow Jesus. It's not that you don't believe. It's not that you don't have faith. It's not about heaven when you die. It's none of those things. This is about going beyond just calling yourself a Christian. Everybody does that in our culture, and it means a million things, and most of them are bad. This is about following Jesus. This is about investing in what is most important and closest to his heart with the very resources that most of us would say are from him. Here's how I put it in my notes. What I do, I'll just make it personal, with my money is evidence of what's most important to me. And straight up, that's uncomfortable for me because I don't always like what it says. Sometimes I want to twist some of Jesus' verses or find another commentary. But what I do with my money is evidence of what's most important to me. In fact, Jesus went so far as to say this. If, if he were to ask you the question, hey, what do you think is the greatest enemy to you really living the life that you want and following Jesus? And we'd come up with a host of things that wouldn't be the right answer. It's probably the devil, especially depending on the denomination you grew up. It's sin, it's this addiction thing. I mean, all those are a big deal. Jesus is like, that's not actually the right answer. Jesus taught all throughout the New Testament, which is why this is a big deal, Jesus said, the number one competitor for your heart, your devotion, your affections, your passions, it's your stuff. It's your money. It's the number one competitor for your heart. In fact, Jesus said it, and this is my words, but if you wanna know what you value most, follow the money trail. If you wanna know what you're most invested in, where your energy really goes, where all of your passion is, Follow where your money goes. Jesus knew this. this is what Jesus taught in these very famous verses. Luke 12, 33. Luke writes it down. He said, provide for yourselves, these are Jesus' words, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, that will not be impacted by 
economic downturn, recession, the fact that your business flatlined, that the trend lines are not up and to the right, that you had whatever it is, will not be exhausted. Nothing can touch this. There is no thief that comes near and no moth destroys. And then this is weird, and I'll go to the next verse if you're not a Jesus follower. And ba- honestly, if you're not a Jesus follower, it's a great day to be here. Because you're like, I'm not one, I'm not accountable to any of this, so you can sit back, chill, call us hypocrites, because this is what we should be about. But congratulations, you picked the fir- perfect Sunday. But here's, here's what Jesus is really saying. That, that in this verse, it, it, this sounds weird, but it's true, that there is something that happens when you invest right now in what is bigger than you and what is a part of what Jesus is doing on planet Earth that will outlive you and that will have an impact beyond just this life, which sounds weird and ethereal, but it's just true. That somehow when you invest in what is happening right now, what God is most concerned with, in some ways that's gonna follow you forever. In some ways you are making an investment beyond what you're gonna be able to capture in your 401k that is gonna impact your life as a follower of Jesus for all of eternity. And then he says this, and probably you know these verses, for where your treasure is, and this is really interesting, and where your treasure isn't, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Meaning wherever you invest your stuff, your finances, your money, your heart, your affections, your passions are gonna follow it. This is kind of encouraging. If you don't like where you are currently consumed with things, if you don't like currently where a lot of your passions and your energy and your worry goes, here's the other side of this verse. Then you can actually redirect them. And the way that you redirect them is not primarily through prayer or God just help me or release me from this. Here's what he's teaching in this verse. If you wanna redirect your passions and your priorities and what you're investing in, invest it in a different place and where you begin to invest your stuff, mark it down, your affections, your heart, your passions are gonna follow it. It's the number one way that you redirect your heart toward the things that matter most. Where your treasure is, your heart's just gonna follow it. Or in other words, what you do with your money is evidence of what's most important to you, which is convicting and hard and a little difficult at times. But, but here's where Jesus calls all of it, us out because his point is this. Your faith, if you're a follower of Jesus, is not just a private thing. It is not an internal thing. I don't know where we got that from. And I think it's gotten even more traction in our current cultural moment. Yes, there's a part of our relationship with Jesus that is private and that is personal. But it is not meant in terms of the scope of our life to be private or to be internal alone because this is a movement where we begin to follow Jesus. It is a do something that changes things around us type of movement. If you're a follower of Jesus, wherever you land in that drive through window that you hate or that office cubicle that you wish you could get out of or the neighborhood that you don't really like and the HOA needs a lot of Jesus or wherever God has placed you, that place where you are at, where whether you love it or you hate it, because of the fact that you are a follower of Jesus, that environment should be better off because where Jesus' followers go, the world should change around them. And so Jesus is like, I want you to do something. And what you do with your money, it's a big part of that. Like what I, let me just talk to guys for just one second. And maybe this is true for everybody, but I'm, I'm a dude. And I know some of you don't think that I'm connected to real life or experience real emotions. Or this is a, this is a true story. I'll like meet somebody in Walmart and it's like they're aghast that I, I like, you, you go to Walmart? Like you do normal stuff? You shut, like, well, I don't want to be here. But yes, like I, I do normal stuff. No disrespect to Walmart. But, but here's the thing for a lot, of, a lot of men, and this is just true, and, and I get it, because I get the struggle. I'm not immune from it, is we are most tempted where our stuff, our resources, our money is involved, we are most tempted to find identity and to find security there, maybe more than any other area. 
The, the identity of, have I done enough? Have I been successful enough? Have I earned enough? Have I whatever? What, like that thing is just in there. And we tie that to resources and money more than we tie to anything else. And then the whole idea of, of just security. Like I wanna be okay. I wanna make sure they're okay. I wanna save my way to safety and whatever it is. But identity and security are a part of it. And it's why so many men's stories who full on follow Jesus is this. The final area of surrender and the final point of surrender for my life was actually around the, the area of my stuff and my money. Like you're willing to give everything, like you gotta have her and you can have it and I'll give you this and I'll surrender. Like God, you can have, but that area of your stuff, your finances, your resources, it's always, almost always the last point of surrender because there's so much identity and so much security tied up in it. But your savior says to you, as uncomfortable as it is, until your heavenly father has access to your money, your stuff, your resources, doesn't really have access to your heart. And by the way, I know this about you, or at least some of you, because you walked away from maybe church because there's a lot of hypocrites, and there are, and you're not really gonna get away from that. But there was so much hypocrisy, they're like, I don't want anything to do with this. And yet, this one area, we're so tempted to become hypocrites ourselves. Because we'll, you know, we'll give, you know, 1.0 giver every once in a while and it's emotional and I'm moved and yeah, I want to support that. And, but it's, it's just here and there, it's sporadic. And then all of a sudden we have a massive financial bump, right? Like the business is not going to survive another quarter, no market share. It, like we lost whatever. We have a huge medical bill. Like things are not going to go well. I didn't know their education was going to cost as much, but we have a massive financial bump. And for a lot of us, what is almost the first thing we do? God, I need you to help me with this. I need you to come through. I need you to like, you know, whatever you pray. But God, I just need intervention. I need you to do something on my behalf. And come on, isn't it a tad hypocritical that the moment there's a crisis and financially it all hits the fan, the first thing we do is pray, which we should do, but we haven't actually surrendered that area of our lives to our savior, the very savior that we're asking for help from. It's why this whole issue is a discipleship issue, to use kind of a church word. It's a following Jesus issue. It is a, I wanna surrender my life to him and follow him with everything. And I'm telling you, I think the hallmark of followers of Jesus more than anything else should be irrational, no strings attached, unbridled generosity. So here's what I wanna do in a few minutes and then I'll, I'll be done and you'll be out of here and you can come back next week and it'll all be over. I, I, I wanna try to convince the other like 73%, which is a lot of people, to step up and to become 2.0 givers and invest in this thing. Now, now here's the reason that we don't do it. And here's what I wanna unpack for just a second. We as human beings, we prefer generally intervention over prevention. This is the reason this doesn't get a lot of airplay. It's not that sexy. We don't even think about it because we prefer intervention over prevention. We do this in every area of our life. Like we've ignored our health for a decade and then we run to the doctor like, can you fix this? Can you give me a pill? What can I do without exercising? Like you've ignored it for a while and then you need a fix. And you're like, what can I do this week that's gonna make me feel better? We do the same thing with marriage, right? We ignore really good marriage habits or practices and then all, this happens all the time in church world. Then you'll get a call out of nowhere, somebody on our staff, like, we need a counselor like this weekend. Is there anybody on standby 24 hours? We can meet with them right now. And like, when the world happened? Are you guys okay? Like, how long has this been going on? They're like, well, about 11 years. But we just realized, like, this is the moment we need to get into counseling. That's what we do. We prioritize prevention or intervention over prevention. Same thing financially. We ignore sound financial habits. And then all of a sudden, we cannot find a debt consolidator fast enough. Because just human nature is to avoid prevention and then to seek intervention when we need it. And this, this is not me, but the scripture actually calls that foolish. And we do the same thing in terms of giving because with our giving, we enjoy and love giving to solve a problem that we can see. It moves us, it's emotional, it's tangible. It's what everybody does. In fact, here's what I put in my notes. We prefer to solve a problem rather than prevent a problem. But let me just ask you, this is an obvious question. What's better, to cure a disease or to just avoid it altogether? Like what's the better option, intervention or prevention if we have the choice? This is how I contrast it in my notes. Intervention giving is emotional and the results are always measurable. Isn't that true? Like you see a video 
they had this story and then they gave pictures out and Sarah McLaughlin was singing in the background. It was like, how can I not give to this? And I've got to support, I don't know where that came from. And I, I, gotta, I gotta move in to help and somebody's gotta do something. And it's so emotional, it's so moving. There's a face, there's a name, there's a video. The song is perfect. And so you get emotional and you get measurable. And it's like, I gotta do something about this. And then we feel really generous. That's most of the West. That's most of the United States. And we give every once in a while. When the song is just right or the video hits us or we know that somebody needs to step up and and give. But here's what preventative giving is. Prevention giving is neither, but it's superior every single time. And and we miss this. Now, this next thing is, is pretty deep, so get ready to take notes, all right? Those of you who say I'm not that deep, this is it, man. This is me bringing everything that I've got. But here's the big deal about prevention that you need to know. Write this down. Prevention giving prevents things. Like that's what it does. That's why it's a big deal. I told you, it's worth taking notes on. It is a big deal because you stop stuff before it starts. You write a different story before you have to rewrite a story. Prevention is better than intervention every single time. And I will unapologetically make this point because I believe it. Systematic giving to an outward facing church is preventative. Churches that go, listen, we are for the city. We are for the community. It is the safest place in the world for anybody struggling with anything. It is welcoming and accessible to any individual in our community. Everybody gets to play a part, not just have a seat. We wanna lead people to life and freedom in Jesus and churches that understand we're not perfect, but it's not about us. We get to model the heart of our savior that says, if one of the 99 or the 100 leave, I'm going after the one because that's what we've been called to do in our city, our neighborhood, in our families. And I'm telling you, when you give to an outward facing church like that, it is not emotional generally. You don't always know the faces and the names and the stories and you can't connect all the dots. It's not emotional, it's not measurable. It's superior, it is mature. It's 2.0. Because here's the thing that I can never reinforce or articulate enough that you will never know about it. And I know about it in part, but there's still so many stories that I am never privy to. Here's the thing that you can't really overestimate is the number of people when you come around the message of Jesus and make it for all people and do what you guys are doing as part of this church, you cannot underestimate the number of things that are prevented. How many divorces didn't happen because of what you invested in? How many people didn't go down the road of addiction because of what you were involved in? How many times, and I'm not overstating this, child abuse or spousal abuse was headed off because God did something extraordinary in their life where they didn't have to rewrite a story. They just wrote a better story than they would have ended up with, where they didn't have to unwind from some of the spiritual trauma that took you a decade to get away from. There is so much that happens when we understand that systematic giving toward what we are doing in the community, it is preventative and it makes an impact. And listen, we should do both. We should intervene. We should be about crisis management all the time. But come on, we have a heart for the next generation is that they would avoid some of the regret that we've experienced, that their story would be different. Here's one example that I put in my notes Like, here's what intervention is. I can tell you, not exactly, but I could give you an idea, a pretty good idea. I can tell you how many children we're helping through abuse, through trauma, through divorce. It's just one example of multiple issues and layers of stuff that we deal with our staff deals with. I can tell you how many children we're helping through abuse, trauma, divorce. Here's what prevention is, though. I cannot tell you, and I have no way of knowing, how many children or students weren't taken out of their homes to begin with because mom and dad stayed away from addiction, didn't have an affair, stuck together through hard times because of the influence of the local church, because of what you're doing, because of what you're involved in. And I'm just telling you, I'm not over, I hear those stories every single week. Two weeks ago, I think it was, I was meeting a couple and I started talking to the, the husband and this wasn't even the, the point of the conversation, but somewhere along the line, it kind of got off track. And he's like, hey, I don't know if you know this, but I just wanted to tell you, we came here several years ago to Centerpoint and our marriage was hanging on by a thread and was about to end. And now a couple of years later, the reason we are still married 
is because of the influence and the impact of this church. That's preventative. The story a couple years ago that I'll never forget that we didn't hear about, obviously, till afterwards, but a young lady was coming into church and she, I, I forget kind of her religious background, but she was coming in because she just felt like she needed to get things right with God because after that church service and kind of getting things right with God, she was gonna take her life. And so she showed up on that Sunday with that intention and just making sure her and God were cool because that's what she thought she had to do. And somehow, miraculously, in that one kind of moment, that service, God got a hold of her life and she placed her faith and trust in Jesus and she got into community and now several years later is serving and on a team, and she wrote to us after the fact to say, literally, not you know, some ethereal spiritual, literally, this church saved my life. I can't tell you how many stories. Over and over and over again that you don't ever get to hear about because they never got to the place of addiction. They never got to the place of divorce. They never had to unwind from the spiritual trauma. They never had to get to the place to try to undo what has been done. I cannot tell you how many students have been impacted where they have written a better story on the front end that we could have only wished for some of us. And because of what happened, all we do is not intervention, crisis management, that many of those students have avoided addiction have avoided crisis pregnancy, have avoided spiritual trauma and toxic religion and not really understanding that Jesus loves them and his love is unending, it is unceasing, it never runs out and there is no regret that can outpace his love for us. And we are anchoring that in the heart of students. So for some of them, they don't have to undo it later. They just write a better story on the front end, better relationships on the front end, less regret on the front end. That's the power of what the local church can do besides just intervention crisis management we get to prevent and lead people on the front end toward life and freedom and Jesus and a better future that's what you're a part of that's what we get to do and so as I start to wind this down I just want to say this real quick for for so many to the 27 percent that have sacrificed and get this and And in many cases, nobody's going to applaud you or herald you or know who you are. I cannot tell you how much pain and heartbreak you have prevented because of your generosity. And you, in most cases, will not be able to measure it. And you will not always see it, but it is real. And it is impacting people that nobody else is reaching in our city. Prevention is better than intervention every single time. And the church should specialize in both. But let's be a church that also leans in to recognize we want to write better stories for people that don't have to unwind from two decades of regret and spiritual trauma that should have never happened. So I think giving to an outward-facing church is some of, the most be- some of the best prevention giving you could ever do. And so what I want to encourage you, if you're part of the 73%, hundreds and hundreds of you, I want to encourage you to step up and be a 2.0 giver. And I, I tried to lay this out last week, so I'm not going to re-preach that message. I believe the opportunity in front of us as a church is enormous. I think what God is doing and the potential that God can do on the other side of the the craziness of culture over these last two years, this area needs what you're doing and what you're investing in. And there are thousands of people on our doorstep that have walked away from the church and what breaks my heart is consequently Jesus and they have no intention of coming back. And we've got a role to play in that. And so we've got stuff to do It's a big deal, and I want us to be known for being irrationally generous, giving percentage, systematically planned, and then being spontaneously generous and funding these organizations in our city to have a massive, massive impact. So here's what I've taught our church to do from the beginning. And again, I was taught this not because I I just did it, not because I was spiritual. I was just taught it, and eventually, I think the spirituality part of it caught up, and I realized, like, this is at the heart of following Jesus. But I got a job at Sports Authority, um, and hi, so everybody remember Sports Authority? It's a great job. And um, 
were like 16 years old. I have no idea what minimum wage was at the time, but I would give away just because that's what I was taught to do. I should give some of this away. I should save some. I mean, it was a little bit of money, but like, this is just what I need to do. And it just became a rhythm and a lifestyle that even when my wife and I got together, started the church, weren't taking an income. We had about 20 people it was a massive sacrifice. That's not to pat anybody on the back. It's just what we wanted to do. And we believe that God wanted to do something special in our community. And I cannot tell you what God has done through that. And so here's what I, would taught, what I was taught that I've taught our church for now years. This is, again, super deep today. Give, save, live. It's not any more complicated than that. Give, save, that you get to a place because you have to be intentional about it or you won't do it where you decide, I'm gonna pick a percentage and I'm gonna give first. I think percentage, whatever it is, is really important because most Americans give spontaneously and then they get the illusion of generosity from random acts of kindness. But if you were to go back and actually look at your year in review, you gave like 0.0003% of your income. I think Jesus followers need to be planned. Pick a percentage. I want to be intentional. I want to plan ahead of time. I don't want to get surprised. I want to make sure I build my life around the rhythm of generosity. And so I'm going to pick a percentage. I'm going to give first. Because there's a million things vying for your attention and your affections and your passions and your pursuits. I'm going to pick a percentage. I'm going to give first. I'm going to save. And I'm going to live on the rest. And I'm just telling you. It has the potential to change your life. And so I just want to encourage you, we get ready to close. Come on. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not, again, you don't have to do any of this. If you're a follower of Jesus, take the training wheels off. Step up to go, I want to live my life fully following Jesus. And I want to build in the rhythm of generosity that models the heart of my Savior. And what I know is that most of you, many of you are not opposed to it. You just haven't done it. It's just not intentional. It's easy to let so many other things get in the way. So I want to encourage you, be intentional about it. Um, for some of you, like you are, you are happily still living in 1995 and you've got a checkbook. I won't ask you to raise your hand. I have so much respect for you. That is amazing. We still get checks as a church. It, it blows me away. So love that. Keep doing that. There's offering boxes in the back. But for most of us, most of our lives are automated. It's online. One of the easiest and most convenient ways, you're not going to find a Bible verse for this, but it's to automate recurring giving. Go to the Centerpoint Church Florida app and just do it. It's the thing that helps my wife and I the most because our lives are busy and we're raising four kids. And what it costs to feed them right now is outrageous. And what they eat is outrageous. And so we pick a percentage, we up it almost every year, we give it away first, we save second, we live on the rest. So I'm telling you, you need something that's gonna help you make it intentional and build in a lifestyle generosity. And I, listen, I think the opportunity in front of us is big and it's a big deal. Just last week, I'm gonna tell one more story. I, I, a guy approached me after the service and never met him before, but he was in prison serving a life sentence. I'm not sure what the circumstances were, that he, but he got out. He was released and he said, I was in prison listening to the radio. I had so much disdain for religion and God and Jesus. I wanted nothing to do with it. I had a horrible experience, told me about his trauma from his childhood. And I wanted nothing to do with it. I kept listening to this unfiltered radio program every single day in prison because I had nothing else to do. And there came a point in my prison cell where I gave my life to Jesus and began following Jesus. And he's like, it has changed everything about my life. Or the lady a couple weeks ago that came up to me and said, I, I don't know if you remember me from a year and a half ago, but you preached a message. I came out in tears, told you about my alcohol addiction. My husband, which I didn't tell you, was also an alcoholic. Our life was a mess. And this doesn't happen for everybody, but it happens for some. She's like, a year and a half later, we're both been sober for a year and a half. Our marriage is healed. We're financially free. Jesus has transformed and changed our life. That's what we get to be a part of. But here's what I would tell you. If you're like, you have bad experiences, I hate people who talk about giving, I get all of that. And if I experienced what you'd experience, I probably would feel right where you are. So you don't have to do anything, but here's what I encourage you. If you don't trust me, trust us, bad taste in your mouth, then just find something. Go to another church that you can fully invest in. I'm serious about that. I will help you. But find a place to go. I wanna be engaged because I'm telling you, it is not about us. It is about what God is calling you to, what God's gonna do in your life and the byproduct of what God will do in our city and our neighborhood. So just find somewhere to give, but step up and become a 2.0 giver. And then last thing, because I hear this every once in a while, this won't mean anything to some of you, but others of you will, because you hear this a lot. Well, CC doesn't need my money. Okay, listen, that's irrational 
You're smarter than that. I just want to help you play this out for a second. If you, if you only gave to a church that needed your money, you would never give because you wouldn't go to a church like that because you wouldn't like it and your kids wouldn't like it because they would be asking for money all the time and there would constantly be a crisis. And if you don't give and pass the plate one more time and sing another verse and like, you've been there, like all, you, you wouldn't like it, your kids wouldn't like it. And so here's how this naturally plays out. I just wanted to say it for you. If you only give to a church that needs your money or is in crisis, but you won't attend a church that needs your money because you won't like it and they'll always be asking for it and your kids will hate it, then here's the natural outflow. You will never give to a church that you actually attend. So don't fall for that. Don't wait. Don't sit around waiting for a crisis or another song or a video. Follow Jesus. Like where your treasure is, your heart is gonna go there. Become a preventative giver. And and here's how I could end this, because I know how this works. Well, if you just give one, God will give you 10 in return. And some of you, that would, that's what you've experienced. And if you just give, we'll send you a little towel and you're gonna experience health, wealth, prosperity. None of that is true. And if, if you give one, you might get 75 cents in return. I don't know. In fact, here's what the Bible teaches about give one and get 10 back. If you want 10, go work hard and it might work out for you. That's what the scripture teaches. There is no promise of pain-free, problem-free, ridiculous prosperity gospel. And if you're leaning into that and hate me for saying it right now, I get it. But I'm just telling you, eventually life will hit and it will be at odds with your faith. And a lot of times you end up walking away from your faith over promises Jesus never made. So my, my, my thing is not, give one and God will give you 10. That, that, it doesn't work. You won't find that in the scriptures. Or I could go, hey, the Bible teaches tithing, so you just need to tithe and be obedient no matter what, even if you hate it, and God's gonna bless you. I think there is blessing with it. I think God does do something. You gotta talk about that in just a second, but in the New Testament covenant, the follow Jesus movement, the, the tithe isn't talked about, so I'm, that's a lie. We're under the age of grace where there's no governor on our love or generosity, mercy, or grace. We just get to, we get to do as God moves in our heart and answer to the question, what does love demand of me? No more rules, regulations. Or the other thing I could do, I could just lie to you. Be like, well, if you don't give, we're going to have to shut the doors and it's so bad. And all that's a lie. And by the way, and this is the problem with when preachers talk about this, all of those things are about you. All those things are about me. This is the essence of following Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want to give you a heads up on this. Following Jesus isn't about you. It's about him. It's about what he's doing in the world and what he wants to do to transform your life. But this is about giving as an appropriate response to God's gift to us. That while we were still sinners, God gave up everything. And he didn't wait for your performance. He just gave you grace and forgiveness anyway. And the only thing he left to you is your decisions, whether to say yes or no. That is the scandalous, irrational nature of the gospel that even if you would reject him, God gave you the opportunity of life, forgiveness, and freedom anyway. And he gave up everything for you to have that. And then he created this movement with 120 guys on a hillside with no money, no influence, no political standing and said to them with zero education, through you, I'm gonna build a movement called the church, the ecclesia, and it's gonna change the world. And they believed it. And they were irrationally generous. Study first century culture. No overstatement. It changed the world. I know the church has busted up. I know many of you have had a terrible experience. It is a miracle you're listening or watching me right now. But apart from that, there has always been a remnant. And it is God's plan A. There is no plan B. It is his vehicle to be the hope of the world. Why would I miss out on that? And so listen, don't settle for average. Don't settle for intervention giving. Everybody does that. And that's great. You should do that. Be a 2.0 giver. Be a preventative giver. We have an extraordinary opportunity in front of us. Because after all, God so loved the world, he gave 10% of his son. That's not the verse. A little alarms that... I feel like you guys were tracking with me. Like, yes, that's amazing. That's not the verse. God so loved the world 
He gave everything. Irrationally generous that we would not be lost to God, but would find life to the full. Why would I not give my life to that? Why would I not surrender my life to that? And listen, if you don't and you never give anything, it's fine. We created a church where there's always gonna be a 27% and hopefully more that's gonna foot the bill so that life change can happen. And we're gonna middle minister to your middle school and we're going to give everything to your high school and we're going to be here in crisis and we're going to do everything we can to connect you with Jesus because it's not about that. We want something for you and we get the great privilege of being a church, a movement on mission in our city and nothing's going to change that. But for some of you, you can only imagine where your life would be if you hadn't experienced this and if somebody hadn't done this for you. That's my story. And then for others of you, you can only imagine how your life would be different if you had experienced this, how your marriage would be different, your 23-year-old student that won't come back to church, how it might have changed everything. And so I just wanna encourage you to step up and have a plan to support your local church financially. And I'm telling you, when you surrender this area of your life, and I'll tell you this from experience, it will not be about money. It will be about the fact that your savior has access to your heart. And once upon a time, there was a movement of people that were rationally generous and they gave out of their poverty and they started churches around the Mediterranean rim and they helped the sick and they went into villages at the risk of their life and they gave it all and it changed the world and it upended the Roman empire. And you are here today as a result of it. And so let's be a remnant of those people in our generation, our city, our neighborhood. Would you stand with me? Jesus, I thank you so much for your grace, for your love. I know this hits us all over the place because I know we all have different stories and experiences and trauma. And so I pray you would contextualize. And I pray if nothing else, that if somebody is listening to me in the room physically or via podcast or online, they they would get some glimpse of what our heart is for our community and our city. And the fact that no matter what anybody does, We are committed. I'm committed to give my life to this. And so do your thing in our hearts. And I pray that, Lord, many of us would just continue to be challenged and inspired to just fully follow Jesus. And we thank you for what you're doing and what you're gonna continue to do. Continue to clarify vision. Give us wisdom to know what you are leading us toward and then give us courage to step out and do it. Change our city change our community, not for the name or the brand of Centerpoint, for the name of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.